Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Well, if you've been following along in the Word with us, uh, Acts chapter 17 towards the tail end is where we're going to be um, today. We're still talking about God's creative integrity, um, a fancy way of, of basically saying God always does what's right and uh, uh, nothing that the world can do will stop that, that uh, essential rightness, righteousness from going forward. So that's kind of where we are. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, for this time we have. We just study your word, Father. We'd like you to speak to us. We'd like your word to speak to us. We'd like your Holy Spirit to just organize inside of us what we hear. Father, let your anointing be upon our ears, just like your word says. We have ears so we can hear. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So remember... As you kind of get back into the swing of, well, what in the world are, is the pastor talking about now? Creative integrity is the, is the term that's been coined that allows for us to look at how God set things in motion, literally his creation, how he did those things, and see that throughout the whole of recorded history without the, and within the Bible, what we see is God never changes and in our circumstances, our situations, our, our culture changes, but God never changes. And I know that that creates uh, all kinds of, of, of difficulties. In fact, in our main service coming up, I'm going to preach a series of messages called The Illusion of Control. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to touch everything that is near and dear to your heart um, in that one. Because um, we serve a God who um, gave us the ability to be in control in our mind but then said, would you please submit that control to me? And the struggle that we have in, in the, with the illusion of control that says, if we do all these things right, um, it'll, it'll come out the way we think it will, um, that may or may not, not be the case. And so we'll talk about, about that, that control thing. It's, it's really beginning to kind of pull up inside of me. So you'll probably hear it dribble out of me. Uh, over the next little bit, and you go, <laughs> you really have, and I really have been pressing in because I, I, I really don't like, um, I really don't like where I see our world, and and I know that that um, that if God told us not to eat out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, my ability to recognize good and evil is not necessarily inside of what God would have me to use to address what's going on in our world. And so we're going to talk about that probably in the main service coming up at not this, not today, but coming up. So anyway, if you would please remember that in Genesis chapter one, we see that at the beginning when God created that the earth was formless and void, the Bible says the spirit of God was hovering over the, the, the earth. So again, creative integrity brings structure and order to an empty world of chaos. And what I mean by an empty world, keep in mind that what God does is he sets things in motion spiritually. He tells us and shows us how the invisible world works. So whenever you hear me talking about this stuff, and I talk about creative integrity, the natural thing for us to do is to bring that over and lay it on top of the world. Well, we should do some of that, but keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is still at work even when we see in our world that it's formless, it's void, it's empty, it's full of chaos. God is still doing what he said he would do. Then we looked at Acts chapter 17, verse 5. We saw that that the world reported... In chapter 17 of Acts, verse, um, 
uh, 6, the last little bit, he says, Those, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Notice that the worldly people described what the Christian's effect on the world was. See, this is not Christians saying, well, we got to go out and turn the world upside down. This is the natural world saying Christians have come, or these people, they called them, that they have come and the world is now upside down. How they see it is now upside down. Keep in mind that you're always going to be moving what God wants from the bottom of the pile, essentially, in the world, to the top of the pile. God wants his creation to worship him. If you read the first chapters of, of Romans, you'll find out that the world is, is screaming for the redemption of the sons of God. You'll see that God's given people over to the, to the degradation of their mind. Just like in the days of Noah, when, when the Bible says the thoughts of men's hearts were continually evil. See, that stuff still exists today. Don't, don't get goofy when you hear me say, hey, it's brighter and brighter till the noonday. I'm not living in a world of denial. The world is darker, but Christianity is brighter and brighter till the noonday. And if you pay attention to what the world's doing, you're going to be one discouraged person who may need Prozac. And if you ask, the fact that so many of you laughed should tell you how much you know about the world's approach to making people happy. You know what Prozac is. Back in the olden days, they used lithium. Anybody want to talk about that? Okay, some of you might know what that is. Back in the olden, olden days when I was studying, they used EC electrocranial shock therapy, ECST. They would hook electrodes up to your brain in certain spots and run the electricity through you. And then hope you would act different. That's what the world does. Can you imagine? I will tell you right now. I'm offering electroshock therapy in between services today. Okay. If, if you think this is going to help, I'll plug in an extension cord, cut the end off, and give you two leads. And hey, if you'll just touch both of them, you'll be changed forever. Now, it's true. You will. You won't ever fall for that again. But you understand that unless you believe in the creative integrity of God's word that says you take every thought captive. See, I can't electroshock therapy you into taking thoughts captive. In fact, if you recognize what the world does, they just want you to quit thinking about it. I'm not advocating that. I'm telling you to think from a different perspective. When you look at the world, of course it's darker. But look at it through a different lens. And what you'll see is the pathway. I, <clears throat> we heard a testimony from a pastor recently from Ohio. And he said that they were having some sort of healing meetings at the church. And so this lady came up, had her shoulder prayed for. God instantaneously healed her shoulder. Okay. I mean, this is like getting healed from a headache. This is not in the, in the, like the big ten things that get your attention, right? You know, okay, we prayed for her shoulder, got better. Way to go. You know, you know how you can kind of get that way, but you've never seen anybody raised from the dead or somebody who was miraculously changed in a moment of time. You see somebody get prayed for their shoulder. And I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. I'm merely saying that's what we do. So anyway, this pastor says when, I, when, when uh, in the middle of the afternoon, he got a, a text from this woman. He said, hey, I came up, she said, I came up in the, in the prayer line today and uh, God healed my shoulder. 
He thought, well, great. And then she said, and when I got home, my eight-year-old autistic child who was non-communicative, non-verbal, non-tactile, meaning that he doesn't ever want to be touched or anything like that, was healed, miraculously changed. Gave him a full frontal, gave her a full frontal hug. If you know anything about autism, this is not normal. Okay? And he's talking. (laughs) And, And so anyway, the guy's name, the pastor's name is Jim Baker. (laughs) <laughs> not that one <laughs> right so so <laughs> just this young guy that 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 uh, uh said god delivering delivered him from being a sociopath pastor <laughs> not caring what anybody said oh anyway i really enjoyed him um um so then he texts the woman back and said, said, you can't leave me hanging here. What else? You know, what, what's the story? Tell me the story. She just said, you know, and he knew about the situation. He said, my autistic son is healed. Well, then she had to go to, to a soccer game with one of her other children. So it's like dead air for four, two, three, four hours. So finally, he gets to text him back and forth with this woman who, who has this child who's been healed. And, and then she says, and you can't believe what he said. This is, this is the long story getting longer to get to the point, okay? He said, I know, now he can communicate, I know that when I make a mistake in how I react, the anger, the frustration, and things like that, that God is 50 feet ahead of me shining a light on the direction I should go. <laughs> He's like eight. Who talks like that? What did he see? He saw the light started in Genesis chapter 1. Let there be light. He saw the light in his personal circumstance. He wasn't taking medicine to find it. He didn't need electroshock therapy and all that kind of stuff. My point is that creative integrity started at the beginning of when we had measured time. And it's been moving forward since then. Light has never stopped moving. Both physical light... How many of you know that when God created, the Bible says he created something out of nothing? Light didn't exist, and God, who is spirit, created something we could see and something that we couldn't see. That's why they call it the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus. Are you catching this? So natural light's been moving, (coughs) and it's been moving at a speed with which we designed. Think about this. 186,000 miles a second. Who decided how far a mile is? 5,280 feet. Who did that? Somebody did. Man did. The point is that we tried to measure in a natural way what God did, not only in a natural way, but in a spiritual way. How fast does the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ move? I mean, if light, something we can make up a measurement for, which you can't even get your mind around. You know, the sun is like 93 million gazillion miles from here. It takes you, you know, the sun could have gone out already. And the last of the lights just come in our direction, moving at a hundred and whatever thousand miles. You understand, it's just how we understand things. And we do that in a natural way. But we don't just roll that over into the creative integrity of the spirit. And so we turn things upside down. This is not our, I'm not trying to wreck anybody's life. Okay? I'm not trying to turn your life up, upside down, but I'll guarantee you God is. 
And he wants you to describe it just like worldly people do. And, Dear Lord, this will flip your wig. Right? This will make you wear your socks wrong side out. It's just backwards. God says, <laughs> God says that those things that are nothing are something. Right? While we look not at things that exist, things that exist are temporary, things that do not exist are permanent. That's, that's backwards. But that's what he's trying to get us to see. That was the second one. Then we looked in, in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16, where the, <coughs> excuse me, where the Bible says that, that uh, this, this spirit was provoked. That Paul's spirit was provoked. That means to sharpen alongside. And we see what God does in all these things. You cannot change a heart without giving a heart. Remember in Ezekiel? Where God said maybe, I think it's the first time it's mentioned maybe Ezekiel 26 and Ezekiel 36. He said, I will give them new hearts, soft hearts for stony hearts. Do you see it? What did God say? I'll do that. So what did he mean by that? Spiritually, he's going to exchange your naturally occurring hard heart with a spiritually occurring soft heart. This is really hard. Because most of us operate from our naturally occurring hard heart. Just imagine if you came in here today <coughs> and wondered why the chairs were set up the way they were. And from that wondering came, I don't really like the chairs like this. What if you came in and began to wonder, well, the temperature is in here. I know a pastor who, in fact, they used to live in Haxton, Colorado. Their daughter did not have the internal stuff to regulate her body temperature. If she got too hot, she'd die. The house got on fire. Not a good thing. But her room, which has special air conditioning in it, to keep her at the right temperature, she can't leave the house. Because it's like 100 degrees outside. This was in Arizona. 100 degrees outside. If she goes outside, in a matter of 15 minutes, she'll die. They said, you've got to get out of your house. She says, we can't. So they sent a police car. Air conditioning blasting. Pulled up into the driveway, got the girl into the police car so that the, rest, so that the mom could leave the house and they could put out the fire. See, you just think, wait a minute, now why doesn't God fix that? And you know what? I'm just telling you that occasionally what happens in our life as we look at things is we slip back over into the hard heart of our natural man. Don't tell me that, that <clears throat> you can say, well, I know somebody who's not naturally hard-hearted. Really? Some of the most merciful people are still naturally hard-hearted. Hard-hearted is not about how you act, it's who you believe in. Hard-hearted people will believe they can earn their way to heaven by being good enough. The number of people, I've been in ministry, you know, 40-some years, the number of people come up to me and tell me <coughs> that their aunt or whoever was a really nice person, did all kinds of good things. I said, did she know Jesus? So you can be hard-hearted and actually think that your behavior will get you to heaven. Well, good luck with that. You can't, add bad, you can't act bad enough to get kicked out. And you can't get, act good enough to get pushed in. If, if you don't accept the Jesus fix, you're in trouble. And I don't care how nice you are. 
making a difference to me. Because, see, it turns your world upside down. And it brings you to the place where God sharpens you in your spirit, man, to deal with life in a different way. So I don't know what week that was, second week, third week. Last week, we talked about, <laughs> about how in Acts chapter 17, verse 22, where Paul saw that this, this imaginary statue, this real statue of an imaginary God, the one we don't even know, he said, I know who that is. And the point was creative integrity, how every human was made. They were made with a God-sized hole inside of themselves, yearning for the presence of God. Everyone has. You say, well, they don't act like it. That's because their heart is hard. See, natural people don't receive the things of God. Got to get a spiritual transformation. If you aren't given a heart, right, you can't change a heart without giving one. I'll give you a, a soft, Ezekiel 36 says, I'll give you a soft heart of flesh for your hard heart. You can't change without giving one. God gives you his heart. Jesus gives you his heart. If you'll figure this out, you'll recognize how important it is for you to, to treat people in accordance with God's heart, not in accordance with your desires. Because, you know, some people, right, in the natural world, when your heart is hard, some people are almost too dumb to receive Jesus. You just look at them and go, dear God, there's just so much work here. Well, I just want to tell you something. If, if, that, if that demoniac guy who's living in the, in the graveyard naked can get in his right mind, which included putting some stinking clothes on, not walking around like a crazy guy. If God can do that, whoever you're thinking about is probably not that bad. I had a lady one time in my church in Imperial. I probably told you this story. I've been here a long time, so all my stories are, you know, I just tell them because maybe somebody's new and my jokes are still good. And Anyway, <laughs> This lady came, and I'd been counseling with her um, through a, a cooperative agreement with the counties we were in. I did, I did um, um, counseling for, you don't really need to know all this. I, I did counseling, okay. So anyway, I get sent this, this woman, who's, who's probably been diagnosed by the world as, as bipolar. And I told her that her bipolarness was just her choosing to flip-flop between the options that are available. There are lots of options available right? You can not get up out of bed every day. That's one side. Or you can stay up for three days solid. That's the other side. The only person that can balance that is God himself. So instead of worrying about how long do you spend in your manic and your mania, how long do you spend in your depression? That's the, the bipolar part. Sorry, are you, you ready for all this? Give you some psychobabble. If you'll just choose Jesus, you say, does that really work? Well, it will if you believe it. <laughs> you say, I know somebody that won't work with. Well, we're not asking what you believe. Send that person to me. We'll teach them to believe on Jesus. And guess what? They'll become normal in their mind. Like the same guy who they tried to chain. First of all, why would you chain a mentally ill person in a graveyard? What, what person in their right mind thinks that's a solution? See, when the world does this, they come up with solutions that keep the world in the same status. They keep the world stuff on top. Well, let's chain this guy up. Let's introduce him to Jesus and see what happens. Well, what if he won't receive Jesus? You ain't tried enough. 
<laughs> what do you mean you ain't tried enough? Well, when, when, when did God give you the right to give up? God so loved the world that he gave. When were you given permission to stop giving the love of God? Made in his image. Okay, so that was, everybody has a God-sized hole. Are you with me? Okay, so notice then, if you would, in Genesis, or in Genesis, in Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> so here we are on some new idea. Notice it says, after these things, so after that happened, Paul departed. You know, I love it when the Bible just talks ever so calmly about what just happened. Paul went into a known, like, demonic stronghold full of idols, changed, turned the place upside down, and then it says, oh, yeah, and then he left. Oh, this was normal. We're so freaked out as Christians because normal is what the world says. Normal's not what the world says. Normal is what the Word says. Right? I mean, we got to kind of get our head on straight. Because if we don't, we'll choose, well, normal's what the world says. Well, the world has decided for many people to have activities for their children on Sunday mornings. That's normal. We're going to play soccer, we're going to play volleyball and basketball and football on Sundays. You say, well, yeah, but they don't have any other time. Well, that ain't their time. You say, well, but my son needs that. Okay. <clears throat> Just look at your gene pool, okay? The most amazing athletes in the world are probably not living in your house. Okay, probably not. And most parents are actually getting inherited value over the greatness of their children, which isn't what the world says. My wife and I have been in interesting situations, having to transfer our thinking from what the world offers to what God offers. And I'll just tell you, if you don't transition your thinking, the world will kill you. It'll drive you into a crazy house because the world isn't interested in what the word says in general. So here he is, Paul, he's just living his life. I, I've made it my goal and I love Paul. Because see, Paul was completely set on doing something completely different than what God had for him. I was fully intending to become a doctor. Not a cut you open doctor, a mess with your head doctor. I was fully intent to do that. And I got into those classes and they began to teach me that you can help somebody from the outside in. And the more I studied, the more that just seemed like crazy gone to seed. How are you going to do that? You understand that if I try and change you, you're going to resist naturally. You're just simply going to resist. Many of you don't really like the fact that I'm pretty hard charging. Because it feels like I'm trying to change you. And guess what? You're right. I am. I want you to accept God's word in such a way that you're a completely different person tomorrow than you are today. 
You say, well, but that doesn't feel good. Well, then get over it. You say, see, that's the part we don't like, Pastor. <laughs> Look at this. Paul, he's just living his life. He says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. Can you imagine, honestly, living under a political system that says, if you're a particular religion, you need to get the heck out of here? We don't live there. Don't ever, don't ever get confused about this being a dark political time that we're in right now. Christians have never had it good politically. Never. You know, it was sport in Rome to kill Christians. Sport. We'd bet on who'd die first. Amen. Command all Jews to depart from Rome came to them. So because he was of the same trade, <laughs> Paul moved in with them because they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Saturday, every Sabbath, which was Saturday. I know your church happens on Sunday, and that's the day God picked. But can I just point out to you, church ought to be every day. Not this building church. This building is not the church you are. You should live in the corporate anointing from your connection to the body of Christ. Paul evidently had that figured out because that's what they seem to record. He persuaded both Jews and Greeks, when, verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia. By the way, thank you, Jesus, for somebody coming from Macedonia. Want to know why? That's white Anglo-Saxon, East and North Europe, where your descendants come from, most of you. Most of you... If you're white, you largely came from Northern Europe, okay? And the only thing true, potentially, about, oh, you don't need this. This was just going to mess with your mind. <laughs> it came from Macedonia. That's where my people come from. Thank you, Jesus, that somebody was working on my ancestors, okay? Paul was compelled by the Spirit. Do you see that? He was compelled. Now, I don't know what you think this means, but let me help you understand it. It literally means to be held together by the Spirit. Held together. How many ever found yourself coming apart? You know what I mean? Where all of a sudden, whatever you're going through, whatever your circumstances are, your pieces are beginning to fly off the rotation of your world. You're no longer together. You ever had that situation where, help me, Jesus, I am coming apart at the seams. You just found your limitation as a human. You'll come apart as a human in the things that you have to face when you get that phone call that you'd never want to get before or ever after. When you get that understanding, I remember one time... <laughs> In the church accounts in Imperial, we used to fund our children's ministry and our youth ministry and our pastoral education ministry by the offerings on Sunday night. Okay? So we would have Sunday night services. We'd take up an offering. It was never very much, you know, 100 bucks here or there. And, and every third week, another 
part of our church got that money to fund whatever they were doing. So anyway, one time, I put the pastoral education budget in the youth account, okay? And I get this call from from the bank. And the bank says, hey, your pastoral education account's overdrawn. I said, it can't be. I just put money in there. I said, no, you didn't. I said, yes, I did. I started to come apart a little bit. Come on, how many ever had that where, where somebody doesn't agree with what you know you did? Right? And, and you, start to, you start to bristle up a little bit. Go, well, bless God. You know, the banks, they always make mistakes. And you know, at that point, they charge $20 for an overdraft and $20 every time you overdraft again. Well, I'd gotten that money on Sunday night, and so I bought books for my staff, you know, at $8, $10, $12 a piece. And so I knew that that money was going to be, I wrote checks, that money was going to be hitting those things. So every time I wrote an $8 check, it was going to cost that account $20. Well, I had already written three, and all three of them were going to bounce. Now, they didn't bounce them, which might have been, I don't know if they give you, if they charge you for bouncing a check, but they certainly charge you for covering that check. I've never had one returned. I assume they charge you for the luxury of returning it. I don't know. Anyway, I got all kinds of wound up. <laughs> so I called the elders. How embarrassing. I said, listen, I don't know what I did, but, uh, you know, the, the education account's overdrawn and I need some money, you know. And, and so they said, well, how much do you need? I said, I don't know because in my mind there's more money in there. And so at that point they gave me $150 and I ran down to the bank and I covered the, the mess I'd made. Fast forward about three weeks all the statements start rolling into the church. And the youth account is ahead the money I thought I put in the pastoral education account. One of us made a mistake. Used the wrong deposit slip. And now the youth got more money than they're supposed to. That's right, party time. And so my youth guy came to me and he says, you aren't going to take that from me, are you? Wow. I said, well, here are your options. You can give that back, write a check, or we're going to skip your next offering on Sunday night and give it to the education account. Your choice. We had to make it, but we were coming apart at the seams. He was coming apart at the seams because he wanted to keep, right? And he, somebody said, no, you can't keep it. He's going, well, that's not, you know. Just, just tap the brakes on your huffiness, Okay. Because you understand, when these kind of things happen, you need to be controlled or literally held together by the Spirit. That's a part of God's creative integrity. He made you in His image, not so you'd fly apart at whatever you went through, but rather that you'd be held together in the situations you go through. You can be held together. You do not have to have a mental breakdown, an emotional stirrup. You know, <clears throat> you don't have to send, sit in your corner and cry in your beer for three days over a mistake that you made. God wants to hold you together. You, you see it. All right, so his, and I apologize for not giving you the middle of all these messages. I'm just giving you the bullet points. How many of you know that it makes sense to you that God wants to hold you together? I mean, I could show you that through people in the Bible. We could just go look at their, their situation and that kind of stuff. And, and, and I, I love David. I'm telling you what, David is an idiot. He does more stuff wrong. And every time you'll get, if you, if you study the Psalms, you'll get that time where David understood from God how God was holding him together. And at one point he says, God, I thank you for redeeming my soul from the lowest parts of hell. 
He fully expected to go to the lowest parts of hell based on his behavior. And he says, thank you, God, for redeeming me. Right? He says, you've brought me through all of those things. What was God doing? Holding him together. It's throughout the Bible. What do we do? If it gets too serious, we come apart at the seams. We just have a freak out and fall in it. Paul was compelled by the Spirit, look what he said, and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Here's the conversation that must have been going on. Notice back up in verse number 4, he says he persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, the Jews understood there should be a Messiah, but it probably wasn't going to be Jesus. The Greeks didn't know that they needed a Messiah. you got these two groups of people in the church. One group says, we already know everything and this ain't it. And the other group says, we don't know anything, but we think those guys are wrong. The church was so polarized in the first century. Listen, the church today is no different really than the church then. These churches are polarized, man. They are, they, are, they are split in a lot of cases down the middle and people believe in one thing and believe in the other. That's been going on for centuries. We think it's new today. No, God designed for us to be held together by the Spirit of God. See, that's why I reach out to pastors who don't agree with me. Because, see, if you reach out to them, you might have a relationship with them. If you gain a relationship with them, you might be able to rub off on each other. Because what they have, you might need, scary as that might. I have never been around, generally speaking, a more dedicated group of people than dedicated Catholics. And I've never been around people who had a little bit of crazy in what they believe. <laughs> right? And you're just going, and what do we, what do we, what do we, what do we come apart about? If, we, if we're dealing with somebody else, right? We come apart of, with what we think they have wrong. Well, that can't be right. You know, God should just close that church down. Paul was compelled by the Spirit. Literally to hold fast or to hold together by the Spirit. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they opposed him, when they opposed him, he came apart of the seams and started cussing at them. No. He didn't come apart at the seams. They opposed him and blasphemed. He shook his garments. He shook his garments. He got the fuzz off his coat. That'll show them. Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now I will go to the Gentiles. You may think, that's, that's, that's really hard. You ought to be thanking him for going to the Gentiles. Because unless you've got Jewish blood in you, he just went to your people. He just went to your ancestors. You're likely saved if there's any Christianity in your household you're likely saved because some Gentile in your family started doing the work. Amen. Notice what else it says. Look at verse number 9. Now the Lord spoke in the night vision. Spoke to Paul in the night vision. 
He said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. One of the ways that God will hold us together is to tell us when to talk and what to talk about. See, part of the reason we come apart is because we haven't asked God what we should talk about. And so we talk about stuff that relieves internal pressure inside of us. How many of you, don't raise your hands, how many of you have ever thought that whatever you were going through, you didn't deserve? Well, I don't deserve this. It shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't have to go through this. Listen, I've been in that situation so many times. And not to say that I've always done it well, but I've been in that situation. And I'll just tell you right now, I've served God fairly faithfully, comparatively to many of the world. I've, I've, I've served God in a, like an awesome way. Most people aren't for 40-some years. And I just want to tell you something. I go through some stuff, stuff I don't deserve in my mind. Why would, I, why would I have to go through this? Why would I have to stand in these things? What's God doing? Why doesn't he hear my prayers? Why doesn't he make it easier? I mean, I've sacrificed how many of you are already hearing how many eyes are in my conversation? I have this, I have that. I, listen, if you start your conversation and I is at the center of your conversation, you're already in dark land. God purchased you with a price. Therefore, serve him. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not come, for I am with you. Look at this. I love this part. No one will attack you to hurt you. You see it? How many of you have ever been hurt by the attacks you've received? And yet, when God holds you together, this, this, I'm trying to keep this in context so I don't have to preach this for 17 weeks so you get it. In context, God, through his Holy Spirit, holds us together. And he says, listen, people are going to attack you, but they're not going to attack you to hurt you. Well, somebody needs to send a memo to God that this stuff don't feel good. This hurts. What's the problem here? In being held together, what the Holy Spirit wants to do is to hold you get together so that you don't react to those things, but rather you're already responding in His Word, which means you'll see it differently. See, when Paul said these things, here's the problem. Problems are persistent, and in the world, they feel personal. Right? And when they feel personal, they'll devolve into permanence. Persistent, personal, permanent. That's how the world wants you to see things. You're never going to get out of this. That's what the world wants you to see. It's never going to change. That's the permanent side. Work backwards, right? You say, well, it's so personal. I can't believe people think the way they think. They'll always be that way. They'll never get it. So that's that personal side of things. The way you can really tell the personal side of things is how you talk about your own family. If you've got a lunkhead in your family, everybody does, one or two. If you don't, that's because you're it. If you say, well, no, there's no lunkheads in their family. Yeah, <laughs> we just found out who everybody else thinks is a lunkhead in their family. It's you. Well, why do they think that way? I don't deserve that. 
And we make it personal. If you make it personal, if you're not held together, this is not personal. This world is not personal. You're here with a purpose from God. Okay? And that's not meant to take you apart at the seams. See, so if you don't like what happened in the last election, if you don't like what happened in the last whatever, and you're going, well, I just don't like this. This is terrible. I just can't believe how this is. Just ratchet back for just a second and stop making it personal. Because if you make it personal, your natural mental capacity will make it permanent. Okay? Have you ever heard the, the saying, practice makes perfect? How many of you know that's a lie? Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. If you practice something wrong long enough, the wrong will become permanent in your life. <clears throat> I like John Maxwell because of all the guys in leadership that I listen to, he is like honest to a fault. And so I'm sitting in a, a group of pastors with my wife one time, and there's just not very many in the room. He's talking about his golf game. And because he's really athletic, John Maxwell is or was, he's like 80 now, but he's still playing golf every day. But anyway, he, he was really athletic, so he got a set of golf clubs for a high school or a, a, a college graduation, decided to play golf. He said, I don't, I'm athletic. I don't need anybody to help me, right? And so he went out and played golf with this guy who could actually play golf. And he said, the guy hit it, and the ball went straight. He said, I've never seen a ball go straight. When I hit it, it never goes straight. He said, I had the best baseball swing you could ever imagine. But you don't play golf by knowing how to play baseball. So he asked the guy he's playing with who was better than him. He said, can you help me with my golf game? He says, we don't have time for that. Well, he said, what am I doing wrong? And the guy thought and he said, everything. <laughs> well, how can I fix that? We don't have time for that. See, he learned that in the natural being held together by personal stuff, when you actually learn the truth, the truth will make you come apart. Right? If you believe you can get to heaven by acting good, when you learn the truth, it can make you come apart. Well, I can't. You mean to tell me that nothing I do matters? That's what I mean to tell you. You mean I can go to heaven like this? You can. I wouldn't advise it. Because you see, if you keep trying to trust your own strength, your own strength will cause you sooner or later to come apart. You'll need somebody to tell you how you're doing life is wrong. And you go, well, it ain't wrong. God loves me just like, yeah, he loves you just like you are, but he loves you enough not to leave you there. He wants to change you, right? That's what Paul was going through right here. So again, creative integrity will hold you together in the spirit. Boy, I wish the church knew this. There are people in the world today, in the church world today, embarrassing themselves because they've come apart at the seams. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, the internet is lovely with this because they allow those people to put their meltdown online. And you can actually listen to it, and in some ways it makes sense. And so then, if you let that go long enough, right, if you're exposed to it, you might figure out that it really is as personal as they say it is. I've heard hundreds of times that the world is trying to close the church. I've heard hundreds of times. 
through different kinds of circumstances. The Bible says the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. Jesus is building the church. You can come apart at the seams if you hear that and go, well, that's right, the world's going to do, the world does not have the power to fix what Jesus is doing in the church. Right? Well, what do we do? Come apart the seams. The Spirit of God works in us to hold us together in the truth of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening in our world today. Hope you get it. Because if you'll get it, you'll quit coming apart at the seams. Won't that be good? Amen. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word. We bless you, Lord God, for all that you have for us. Thank you for this. Thank you, Lord, that you can help us to process through your Holy Spirit. You're holding us together by your Holy Spirit, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.